0: Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say, rejoice. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. A blessed Gaudete Sunday to each and every one of you. Gaudete being Latin for rejoice. Taken from Paul's words recorded in the intro in his letter to the Philippians a letter that he writes, by the way, as he is sitting imprisoned. Rejoice in the Lord always, he says. Now, do note that he does not say rejoice always. He's not prescribing for us some sort of pathological happiness, the likes of which our culture celebrates and demands. He's not saying the ideal Christian life is an Instagram life. It's not rejoice always, but rejoice in the Lord always. And so we light the pink candle on the Advent wreath to remember even in the midst of the darkness and gloom of a rainy December that Christ is the light and the joy of the world fills our hearts with rejoicing no matter what our earthly circumstances may be. Paul himself being in prison connects in the church's historic liturgy with John the Baptist being in prison. John the Baptist, whether it is he who is struggling with doubts or his disciples who are struggling with doubts, that's a matter of debate that has been raging on for many centuries and isn't soon to be ended. Either way, he does the right thing whether for himself or whether for his disciples' sake, he directs heart and eyes to Jesus, the very thing that St. Paul does. Jesus, in turn, responds with a practical paraphrase of the Scriptures. All the things that the Scriptures say the Messiah will do, I am doing. And then he has these unique words for John the Baptist and for all of us. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Very concretely, blessed are you, John, as you sit in prison, as you will not be released, as you will give your life As the final type and foreshadowing of Christ giving his own life. Blessed are you, John, if you are not offended by me or by the cross that I lay upon you or the path that I am leading you down. We see in Paul and in John two very different personalities, do we not? Paul desiring to rejoice in the Lord. John, perhaps not so much. And yet, their hearts and their minds are set on Jesus. Now these two men, imprisoned as they were, tie in wonderfully with the Old Testament account laid before us. Isaiah prophesying nearly 600 years before Christ. And he prophesying ahead of time to an entire people who would be incarcerated and exiled and drugged into a former land. First the Babylonians would come and by their warfare, one-sided as it was, slaughter the Israelites. Then dividing families as they saw fit. They would lead many away as the Babylonians liked to, sticking fish hooks through the nose of their captives and tugging them along. You might have had a bad week, but I doubt it's that bad. It is to these people, drug away from their home, imprisoned in a foreign land, with everything that they loved, families, property, home life, all destroyed and wrecked. It is to these people that Isaiah prophesies, and he does so with wonderful, poetic flourish. In our Old Testament lesson, he has for us three different heralds. Herald being messenger, which as a complete tangent, when you hear, hark the herald angels sing, the name's not herald, that's his office. The angels are messengers, and so Isaiah sets before us three messengers, the first of which is instructed by God to comfort, comfort these my people, to tell them that their warfare, which is to say the slaughter and punishment that I have afflicted upon them through the hands of the Babylonians, this "...is over. Their warfare is over. I have pardoned their iniquities. And for their sins I have given them double." Which might sound to our ears as a double punishment, but that's not what's being said at all. The double that the Lord gives corresponds with that doubling of the word comfort. He speaks a temporal comfort to them, that he is with them even now in the midst of their struggles and strife in Babylon, but that he is also going to be with them in the one who is Emmanuel, God with us, who is going to bring an end to sin and death forever. This is the double comfort of which this first herald speaks. The second herald is the voice crying out in a wilderness. It would often be the case that when a king would travel from one place to another, perhaps a place that he had recently conquered, that his men would go before him, literally building the road as they went. And that's exactly the vision given to us by Isaiah, that this voice of one crying out in the wilderness would be making the crooked paths straight, raising the valleys, lowering the hills, making the rough places into a plain that the king might come. It is a proclamation that the glory of the Lord will come to his people. And we know that this voice Corresponds with John the Baptist's voice. And that glory of the Lord who comes into the midst of his people is none other than Christ our Savior. John comes preaching a twofold message that we Lutherans would call law and gospel. He points in the first place to all flesh being as grass and our beauty as the flowers of the earth. That word for beauty there is the Hebrew word *kased*, which means actually, in fact, our faithfulness, our steadfastness. The grass withers. The flower fades. Not only do we wither and decay physically, But all too often, our faithfulness and steadfastness wither and decay and fade just the same. But while we ourselves pass away, we are given this gospel promise. The word of our God dwells forever. Not in ourselves do we trust but in his immovable, unchangeable word. And most explicitly, that word made flesh, Christ Jesus. But the full content of his glorious promises to us are simply immovable. In fact, from the Reformation forward, you may have seen this in church artwork, V-D-M-A. We've had that iconography those letters, verbum domini manet eternum. The word of the Lord endures forever. The final herald of which Isaiah speaks is Zion herself, that is, the city of Jerusalem, set upon a hill, called to cry out to the other surrounding cities, marking the coming. Of the king. But this is no mere earthly king. She is to proclaim, Behold your God. The one who comes is a king in absolute power and authority, but as we see also, a shepherd who comes in gentleness to gather his lambs, carry them in his arms, and lead the mothers with their young in gentleness. Ultimate strength, ultimate tenderness in this shepherd king. What then should we gain from all of these things? That whether in prison, literally or metaphorically, John or Paul, or whether in exile, like Israel in Babylon, or like we Christians in this fallen and alien world. We can be assured that God is with us, that God continues to speak to us, and that His Word remains forever. Our iniquities are pardoned. He is for us, not against us and whatever He allows to afflict us and to befall us, He has preplanned before the foundation of the world that through these very things He might conform us into the image of His own beloved Son. Rejoice, maybe not always, but rejoice in the Lord Yes, we can rejoice in him always. Whether it be suffering, or sorrow, or death itself, Christ our Lord says, Lo, I am with you always, always, even to the end of the age. Let us then rejoice in Christ our Savior.